please find your seats and turn the good book to Bereshit, Genesis um, chapter 12. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. Then Adam and I said to Abram, Get going out from your land, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation, to bless you, to make your name great, so that you may be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went, just as Adonai had spoken to him. Also Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions that they had acquired, and the people that they acquired in Haran. And they left to go to the land of Canaan, and they entered the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the place of Shechem, as far as Moriah's big tree. The Canaanites were in the land then. Then Adonai appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land to your seed. So there he built an altar to Adonai, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the mountain to the east of Bethel and erected his tent. With Bethel to the west and Ai to the east, there he built an altar to Adonai and called on the name of Adonai. So Abram kept on journeying southward. Now we have a number of folks who are visiting here for the first time. And uh, I could do something inhospitable, like asking you to raise your hand. So why don't you do that? <laughs> If you're visiting here for the first time. Uh, we welcome, welcome you, and uh, we'd love to encourage you to stay and uh, have some basic refreshments with us uh, upstairs in the hospitality area. So, Bochim uh, Habaim, welcome. Joy and I very much um, want to give thanks for the abundant prayer that went up uh, for us this past week. And um, this may sound a little grandiose to say, but I had no doubt last Shabbat that there was a bubble around me. Um, I, I say that cautiously because I know that there are a number of folks here in our congregational mishpacha who have been in severe accidents the last several years. Um, and so I, I, uh, I want to be uh, cautious in saying that nonetheless um, 
And Shabbat was uh, interesting. Um, I'm not used to having someone come at me at 50, 60 miles an hour and uh, having uh, half of my car demolished. And um, however, what I found amazing, A, is that I'm alive and here. Um, and what I found even more intriguing is that uh, the bubble extended over me emotionally and spiritually. Um, like the rest of us, I can be a, a nervous Nelly. And uh, when things come about, our minds uh, go a thousand miles a minute in the wrong direction. Uh, but I have experienced the Lord's Shalom last Shabbat and throughout most of this week. Um, other than I, I had realized that perhaps I need to retire my New York style driving. <laughs> because as I've been driving, I've really noticed a, how Meshuggi people are driving, <laughs> and uh, also observed all the banged up uh, vehicles that are on the road, and uh, that's been very sobering, to say the least. Um, obviously, like the rest of us, um, I'm not made of uh, kryptonite or whatever. Um, so it's it's been it's been a challenge, um, and so by the grace of God, uh, whatever it is that the Lord has given me to share this morning will come across uh, without me pausing and flying off into into different uh, different worlds. But um, you know when when you realize that. God's presence, God's sustaining grace is with you. Um, it is awesome. It is very, very humbling. Uh, none of us really deserve it in, in, in that sense, but the Lord gives it graciously. He gives His chesed, uh, His covenant, commitment, love, mercy. Um, and just to complain very, very briefly, to confession, and I'll come back to scripture here. Um, this is coming at a time that is not particularly convenient. You know, life is rarely convenient. And uh, Joy and I are preparing to go out of town in a week. And so, dealing with all the practicalities of rental and insurance and police and blah, 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 etc., uh, is a challenge. So, I want to be somewhat of a uh, somewhat greedy and ask for your continued prayers for us that the Lord will sustain us and what needs to happen will take place. Um, you live long enough, you realize that life is not about you, but it is about Him. Amen? Amen. Let's pause for a minute and pray. Lord, thank you for your sustaining grace. Thank you, Lord God that you are faithful, 
And thank you, Lord God, that you exert your power to sustain us. And we bless you and thank you for that. Thank you, Lord God, as well, for your word that is alive and actively powerful and sharper than two-edged sword. We pray for each one of us, Lord God, to hear what you have for us to hear today. And embrace it and apply it and grow by it. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. So I, if, I, if we were to take a, uh, a survey, I would imagine that every person here has heard the passage that uh, Tony read to us. Genesis 12 is for us in the Messianic community a very basic foundation um, because it speaks about Abraham's call, uh, God's call from Abraham. It speaks about the Messiah. It speaks about the promise of the land. It speaks about God's commitment to Israel at a time when a lot of people who are believers, who are committed believers, uh, particularly in the evangelical community, are drifting away from a support for Israel. And, and by the way, we don't have a litmus test where we expect everybody to, to say, uh, I fully agree with everything that is being done by the government of Israel. That's not possible. Israel is not a theocracy, a government ruled by God. However, last time I checked, not a single government, including government of the United States, has been endowed with absolute perfection. And so, um, I'm, I'm somewhat uh, distressed or, or discouraged sometimes when I see the extent of um, attitude that has turned uh, against Israel um, because people feel the need to uh, support the rights of the Arabs, the Palestinians, and so on. And if you're new to us, let me be very emphatic to say that we don't believe that if you love and support Israel that you in any way, shape, or form should be opposed to the rights of, of the Arabs, the Palestinians. Because God, God loves the Arabs and the Palestinians. And according to Isaiah chapter 19, there will be a time when the Arabs and the Jews will come and worship God together in Jerusalem. Um, so my attitude simply on that is that a person who makes sweeping statements about the Middle East is either an utter fool or a charlatan, someone who's trying to sell you something. It is complex. It is complex, folks, and we cannot take things that are complex and put them into, into simple sound bites. However, one thing is clear here scripturally is that God called Abraham. And this is for us a, a beginning of a series on Abraham as the father of faith. And so we by the grace of God, we want to step back and see how Abraham 
was a shining example of a man of courage who was willing to trust God um, in difficult circumstances and was willing to, to be faithful um, and trusting God, wait, waiting for God's promises. And at the same time, uh, make no bones about the fact that Abraham, like the rest of us, experienced failure. And notice how God used those, those moments of failure to accomplish the good plans he, has, he had for Abraham, as he does for us. So, here in the section that Tony read to us, um, obviously this leads into, or, or this, um, the earlier section in Genesis 11 is a prelude to what takes place here. Um, and there are lots of things that are not given in chapter 11 about, uh, about Abraham's family. Typical um, a, a typical situation is that when scripture is ambiguous that people rush in to write their PhD dissertations and write books um, about things that are not clearly spelled out in scripture. Uh, Rabbinic Judaism has done all kinds of stuff like that uh, with the Midrashim, the commentaries, uh, particularly in Genesis. So, for example, we don't know uh, much about uh, Abraham's father, Terach. By the way, you have to be able to pronounce the Terach. You say Terach. I'm not hearing the... There you go. Thank you. Um, we don't know much about him other than he was an idol worshiper, which is what Scripture tells us. Um, in Joshua chapter 24. The Midrash has a number of interesting stories, and they are, they are just stories. Uh, so take it with a grain or two or a pound of salt. One story is that Terach was a, uh, an idol maker, and as God got a hold of Abraham, he had the holy chutzpah to come to his father's shop and destroy all the idols. And um, Terach apparently was very, very upset and uh, challenged Abraham and said to him, what did you do? And Abraham's response was simply uh, a, a very, um, I would have loved to have been there if that was actually true. He simply said to his father, look, the idols were having a fight. <laughs> and they destroyed each other. And Terach apparently says, according to the story, Ah, you know better. They're just idols. They're just made of stone. And Abraham's response to Terach was, Then why do you worship them? All right. Um, again, not much is given about, about who he was. Uh, we know from history, we know from archaeology, that Ur was a very, very sophisticated culture. Um, 
there's reason to believe that the king who ruled during Abraham's time um, put together a law code. Um, the primary religion was the worship of the moon god Sin. And, um, and apparently, um, we don't know exactly why, but Terach uh, gathers the family and they move to northwest Syria to a place called Haran, another Haran. Um, we're not sure. I mean, again, there's speculation. Uh, what is interesting is that in, in this section that leads up to Abraham's call, this section is called Toldot Terach, which means the account uh, of Terach. In other words, whatever takes place in the next chapter or two or three, actually more than that, will in some way involve Terach. Um, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us because we, we live in, in a culture that is not based on clans. I mean, our culture is uh, exalts the individual or sometimes the nuclear family, but, but the notion of living in a clan just doesn't make a particle of sense to us. And so what Scripture does say is that Terach um, took um, his clan and they left Ur and they came to this place called Haran and they parked there and apparently Terach died in Haran. At the same time in chapter 12 we're told that God had given Abraham a very very specific call get up and leave and it is not one of these if you're interested uh, Abraham if you're having a good day and you really want to listen to what I have to say, then yeah, pick up and and, and uh, get out of your country, your um, your homeland, and so on and so forth, and go someplace where I'm going to tell you. No, the the Hebrew expression lech lecha is get up and move. No no uh, indication of any doubt whatsoever. And by the way, that expression lech lecha is found in chapter 22 when God tells Abraham to uh, to take his son and offer him. Um, again, there are a number of items that we don't know. Um, Haran apparently was a um, a center of, of travel, uh, sort of a focal point for, for highways, sort of like the mousetrap for I-25 and I-70 and so on. Um, they stopped and settled there and uh, Abraham then picks up his family and moves now, now what we have I imagine for most of us is a very 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 familiar story however put yourself in Abraham's shoes here is a 75 year old dude gathering his family. And we're not just talking about uh, 
two or three people, two or three servants. According to Genesis 14, Abraham's household included 318 fighting men who were born in his household. Not to mention women and children and cooks and so on and so forth. So we're not talking about something simple. Uh, I can only imagine the logistics of what it would be, what it would have been like for Abraham to pack up his family and move, and particularly move from a place like Haran that was apparently well established to Canaan. And it, you like to think that God sat down with Abraham and said, Abraham, let, let me give you uh, a set of blueprints so that you know exactly what you're doing from point A to point B. And let me tell you a bit about the Canaanite culture so that you're prepared, so it's not a great shock. No. God said to him, I will tell you where you're going to land. Not very comforting for a 75-year-old man. Um, and what Abraham would find is that um, he would go from Ur and Haran as uh, settled areas into Canaan where, where he was basically a nomad. He slept from place to place. Um, so part of the picture here is that God, in essence, says to Abraham, uh, I want you to make a radical commitment. Radical commitment. No wiggle room whatsoever. I want you to leave, take everything that you have, uh, and without your planning to come back and, and revisit where you have just left. God doesn't say to him, well, you know, leave and uh, check things out in Canaan and in a couple of months, if it works for you, then, then yeah, stay put. Otherwise, go back to Haran. No. God says, hit the road, Abe. And don't come back no more. Again, I, I can't imagine what that would have been like, folks. Um, and, and I have shot from country to country. Uh, I was in my fourth country by the time I was 16. However, I have absolutely no grasp what this would have been like, folks. And I don't think any of us really would have had, really have any conception of what that would have meant for Abraham. Radical, radical faith, radical obedience. And you talk about things being stretched. And at least, at least for me, this time as I read and reread this passage, what really stood out for me was that taking the steps, you know, packing the family in the household and leaving Haran and uh, making the trip was in a sense the lesser step of faith. You say, what? Let me explain to you. Then God goes on to say to him, as you do that, Abraham, 
here is what I'm committed to doing for you. And by the way, uh, we, we have um, um, wonderful insights. And if you have the TLV, uh, you'll know that the TLV reads somewhat differently than some other translations do. Um, where, where in, in verses 2 and 3, God says to him, um, I have a great desire to do this and this and this and this and this for you. And by the way, that for the TLV comes thanks of our one and marvelous uh, Dr. Linda Lair, um, who studied this. This grammar, uh, grammatical form is called Baalthif. In other words, a person is saying, I'm going to do such and such, and such but not only I'm going to do such and such, I'm committed, I'm passionate. And you can see why God would say that, because he's asking a lot of Abraham, and so he wants, to understand, he wants Abraham to understand that th th this is not a light thing for him, i.e. for God, but he's in essence saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm expecting you to make a radical commitment, and I am also making radical, radical commitment to you. And then it dawned on me that perhaps for Abraham, this was the real challenge. It's not just the practicality of packing up the house and packing up the, the household. But listening to what it is that God is saying and then embracing it with both hands and both feet and saying, God, I really fully believe you. Now think about that. 75-year-old guy has no children. Uh, and, and we'll see in chapter 15 that this is not a light thing for, for Abraham. Chapter 15, we see Abraham has this conversation with God where God says to him, um, uh, I'm your great reward. And Abraham's response is, God, you got to be kidding. I am Ariri. I am um, poor. I am naked and destitute. Hebrew word there is very strong in, in Genesis 15 too. So when God says to Abraham, Abraham, you're going to have lots and lots of, of children, you're going to be a great nation. I don't know, folks. I would wager to say that the vast majority of us here would say, God, come on. Yes, I'm willing to pack up and move. You expect me to believe that? That you're going to do this, this, and this? that I'm going to become a great nation? Hello? Um, and yes, I want to be very careful, folks, in pointing out that Abraham is lauded, he, he is praised as, as the man of faith, the giant of faith, which he was. However, part of the picture is that none of us have perfect faith. None of us. And there are moments when we look at God and we say, God, you got to be kidding. Theoretically, I know you could do such and such, but you really expect me to do, you really expect me to believe that you're going to do this? 
And as you read the scriptural account, which we'll be doing throughout these, um, these series on Abraham, what stands out is the fact that Abraham had his moments when he said, God, okay, I, I know you're capable, but I've got to make option B. Option B, for example, was to select Eliezer, uh, the head of the household, to become his heir. Of course, we all know about the other option B that we are living with, and that is Ishmael. So, in my mind, Abraham, hearing what it is that God had to say at this point, and embracing it with both hands and both feet, I see that as the real battle of faith. Why? Well, okay, again, you can pack up and, and move, and even though you might feel like, okay, I'm a little doing this, uh, but then over 25-year period, folks, we've got to understand that Abraham was waiting for God to give him this, uh, a child for 25 years. You can understand and appreciate the fact that over those 25 years, Abraham would be saying, God, um, you are capable, but this is really beyond me. And the other thing that I found immensely encouraging in, in the Abraham story that, that we will see as, as we go through the, these uh, chapters Is, is that God doesn't throw a fit and and throw a lightning bolt at Abraham and say, you dare question me? You're out. Which is, frankly, our perspective. Think about if someone were to question our veracity and our ability to do something, would we just very calmly walk away? No, I think we would have a few strong words but what we find is that God in his amazing mercy works with Abraham and is compassionate and says okay Abraham I, I, I get the fact that, that this is difficult but let me make it clear that when I said what I said back here in, in Ur and then in Haran Haran, I meant what I said, and furthermore, I had the means to accomplish it. I will bless you. Now, what did God mean when he says, I will bless you? Uh, there are several things that are spelled out here, such as, uh, you will be a great nation, again, having to do with children. You'll have a great name. And we think, what? What is great name about? You know, uh, John or Judy or Bob or Barb. It's a good name. Why do you need to have a great name? Again, understand the mindset of the people back in those days was that when you died, um, your reputation would continue in a sense. You would continue. Um, and people would remember, and this would be part of the family lore, the family tradition. 
So having a great name is not an ego issue, but it was a very essential part of, of God's blessing. And then, of course, God promises Abraham that he will not only bless him and his descendants, but all kinds of people outside would be blessed as well, obviously referring to the Messianic promise. And I think as we look at Abraham's interaction with God, A, we realize that he was not a perfect man and he had issues. But for the most part, when God tells him something, he goes and he does it. In verse, verse 4, um, the Lord apparently concludes the conversation. And Abraham went and did just as Adonai had spoken to him. You find that kind of a mindset throughout Abraham's life, even when God says to him, go offer your son. Abraham doesn't agonize for months and months. We find in chapter 22 that Abraham gets up early that morning and takes Isaac and prepares to go. You don't see Abraham being conflicted and being double-minded. When he gets what it is God wants him to do, then, then he goes and he does it. And it's not because he was a robot. We don't find mechanical obedience here. This is the other thing that really blesses me, folks. God does not expect mechanical obedience. He knows human nature. He knows our struggle. He knows that when He puts something before us that is frankly impossible to do, He knows that we will struggle. And we'll say, Lord, this is beyond me. Again, God doesn't throw a bolt of lightning at us, but rather He works with us with our weakness, our foolishness, our stupidities, frankly, so that when we do make a decision for God, it is something that we do wholeheartedly, as much as is possible. again as I was reading this that when they when the clan came to Haran again northwest Syria um, we don't know for sure how long they were there they were there for a while scripture tells us that Abraham prospered he got all kinds of um, material blessing years perhaps um I don't know, we've been tempting uh, to say, oh, this is wonderful. Okay, we're going to park here. And uh, Lord, uh, we left her, and we're going to stay here. This is good. And yet, you don't see that with, with Abraham. He is willing to take the commission, the call that God had given him, and pursue it fully. 
That's, that's a struggle, isn't it, folks? When we make a commitment to God, and at some point we reconsider and say, well, you know, maybe it wasn't such a bright thing after all. I'll give you a personal story. Um, as a 16-year-old, it was such a time, actually. Um, I was at a conference in a, uh, in a college called Wheaton College, and the music was playing, and the speaker was very powerful, very dynamic, and he invited everybody to come up and dedicate their life to full-time service for God, uh, which I did. I joined everybody else. My somewhat sarcastic self would say, all the other lemmings. <laughs> um, and at some point I realized, you know, do I really have to be full-time uh, to serve God? Can I serve God as, as a lay person? It's a wonderful idea. Which it is, by the way. Um, whatever you are doing, whether you're in school, whether you're working, whatever it is that you're doing, you are serving God. Full-time, quote-unquote. Uh, you are the Lord's ambassador. Uh, you, to use another, another analogy, you are a walking Bible uh, that people can read what God wants to say as they look at you, as they listen to you. Um, and so at some point I thought, yeah, that sounds pretty good. However, uh, in my case, God had different plans. And at some point, He is gracious, well, He's always gracious. But at some point, God said to me, door, shut, this door is shut, you're not going there. You can try to bang this door, but you're not going there because I have a different, a different call on your life. Uh, being so much stiff-necked, I come from that kind of an ethnic perspective. It took God a couple of days, and eventually uh, He was able to communicate. So, my point simply is, for each one of us, there is a call, folks. There is a call. Yeah, your name is not Abraham or Sarah or Sarai, but there is a call on your life. You've been gifted. God has purposes. God has plans for you. You represent Him in this crazy, whacked out world that is becoming more and more crazy and more and more whacked out. And you can either embrace God's call or else Look at God and say, God, thank you, respectfully, I have my plans and purposes. I have strategies, five-year plan that I've laid out that I'm intending to pursue, as it were, hell or high water. And yes, I will serve you as best as I can, whenever I can, but it's what I feel I need, I need to do. And at some point, the Lord is faithful, merciful, persistent, patient, 
At some point, the Lord will come back to you again and again and again and again and again and again and say, You're mine. You're mine. You're mine. Um, A, because I created you. B, because you have come into the kingdom as my son or daughter. You're mine. And you do not have the right to run your life as you think you need to and have me totally out of the picture. Not okay. And God will be patient and persistent and come back again and again and again until you finally say, okay God, I get it. And you know, in all the years of ministry, I, I, I've, I've heard the response to that till I'm blue in the face and I've given that response as well. Well, I don't know what God wants me to do. Who am I after all? The short response is, you are God's son or God's daughter. Gifted. Not so that you can do what it is you want to do, but gifted so that you would accomplish what it is that God has prepared for you to do. And yes, it is a stretch. It is a huge stretch. Because we tend to look at ourselves, compare ourselves either positively or negatively and say, God, who am I? And furthermore, uh, I don't know what you want. Again, a short version to that is if God wired you, maybe, just maybe, He can work through the neuronal pathways to communicate what it is that needs to be communicated so that you have a basic grasp of what it is that God has called you to do. So that you live life not aimlessly like the rest of the folks around, but you live life with a purpose because you have a call, because God has called you. At some point you embrace that and you experience the joy of being co-partnery, a co-partner with God in the work of His kingdom. There is joy in that, folks. Because you get to know who God is, you got to learn about how He does things, and you learn to engage with Him in getting things done. And there's huge joy and significance in doing that. Or you can continue to kind of muddle and fumble along and carry out your agenda, your strategy, and so on. And by the grace of God, at some point, I believe He will tap you on the shoulder or grab you by the scruff of the neck or one of the two and say, okay, would you please stop? I've called you. I've called you. I have a precious call on your life. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Lord, we bless you. We stand in awe at your amazing patience and mercy for us, Lord. Foolish sheep that we are, we thank you, Lord God, 
that you have called us and you've gifted us and you have precious plans and purposes for us to serve you, to be co-laborers with you, to experience the joy and the significance that comes because we see the work of your kingdom being done. I pray for each one of us, Lord God, to have a strong, strengthened sense of what that looks like. And soft hearts are willing, Lord God, willingness to respond and simply say, Lord, yes, I'm willing to sign on. I'm willing to sign on. Pray that you would receive much honor, Lord God, in the life of each of us as we do that. In the name of Yeshua we pray.